And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Wednesday, April 26th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we discussed Jared Kelnick putting it all together. Took a little longer than some people hoped, but we'll dig into what has helped Kelnick sort of find his stride here in 2023. We'll talk about the still puzzling devotion of Taj Bradley and investigate whether there might be some bigger issues in play that go beyond Taj Bradley that maybe need to be ironed out. And we're going to take a look at some Velo improvers. Plus, we've got the debut of Tanner Bybee that's about to happen. The Guardians promoted one of their other pitching prospects from AA to AAA. Got a couple mailbag questions, so tons of ground to cover. You know that we begin today with Jared Kelnick, who is on exactly zero of my teams. And it's not because I didn't believe in Jared Kelnick, but it's because I just didn't think that the payoff was going to be a significant one this year. I thought a high strikeout, some power, some speed, in and out of the lineup because of the lefty factor, all those things. Okay, I'll just wait and see. I'll wait until he does put it together and then decide what I'm going to do with him at a higher price in 2024. So far through 21 games, that looks like a mistake. 342, 395, 726. How about seven homers and three steals? Three for three now as a base stealer this season. It really looks like everything is falling into place, and he's doing it with an improved K rate, 24.7%. The best strikeout rate we've seen from him in the parts of three seasons he's now been in Seattle. Yeah, and you know what's kind of interesting to me is that there's not actually a large change in his swing rates. You know, in terms of like you know he swung forty seven percent of the time before and he's swung he's swinging forty six percent of the time now he's swung sixty six percent of the time at at strikes before and he's swinging sixty six percent of the strikes now a little bit fewer swings at pitches outside the zone but like there's no like real big difference there and then you look at his pull rates there's some difference there and you know yes his his barrel rates uh, are up but his uh you know he had good barrel rates before so you know you're you're kind of like looking at this and uh, to me almost if you took the walk and strikeout rates and you put them back in 2021 on his debut you'd be like yep you know that's what we expected um, and that and that kind of goes along with uh, an interesting text interaction I had with somebody in the game where, you know, I sent this uh, I sent this Rosenthal piece along, and um, the person reacted saying, you know, I'm not sure, uh, you know, there there's probably some training that happened, and there's the piece has some great stuff about, you know, how he trained, uh, how he changed his stance, and how he changed his swing and stuff, but. This person said, you know, I, I doubt there was as much training impact here as there was a psychological one of a total reset. You know, he went to new people and he trusted the process again. And part of the process was going to a sports psychologist. And the two things that really stuck out to me were you know, Craig Wallenbrock in the story says there is no perfect swing. He says that on day one. And the sports psychologist says you cannot be the perfect player. And that might be just as important as any of the mechanical things that Kellnick did because Kellnick really was wearing it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it reminded me a little bit of Logan Gilbert, his first year up, where just Logan Gilbert was a little bit more like, uh, like, like he would come off the mound and just like, uh, like these shoulders would be down and just be like, oh no, this is, uh oh, this is some poor body language. And then, and but Kelly was the opposite. He was like the red ass who would be like punching the water cooler and like you know, like just what, did, what was the expression you had about his oh, about grinding his bat? the bat into dust after <laughs> yeah. after a strikeout, right? I mean, you could see it. You could there, 
watching the body language of players is something that Ian Khan probably does better than anybody I know. That's kind of part of his training as an actor. He can read people really well. I, I find it hard to do, but on the extremes, I can see when someone's pressing. Jared Kalnick, you could see, was pressing. Chris Sale, when he's punching water coolers and breaking <laughs> TVs, he's not, he's not his best self <laughs> above the shoulders when that's happening. It helps to have the right mindset. Yeah, well, I'm off the sale because the, the stuff plus the numbers are terrible. But, well, yeah. you know, but that's another reason to kind of, I don't know. Some guys then find that reset button, you know. Um, and uh, and in fact, there was a, I did a piece about how older players are better at coping and how that fits with some psychological research out there about how... Um, you know, coping mechanisms are not bad and they're part of how we get ha- happier as we get older because we just know, oh, I'm going into a funk. You know, this is one, eh, I, know, I can see this one coming. This is happening. This is happening. I'm going to go out in my garden. Yeah, yeah. You learn. You, you learn. Yeah. I'm going to call a friend and, and go have beers. You know, like I need to, I need to snap out of this. And uh, uh, so he, he, the young players sometimes don't have that in their back. They just don't have that, that coping ability. and. That seems maybe as important as anything. I don't, I don't know how. Like obviously, we have to bring this back to fantasy, and like, you know, I don't know how to do that um, in a way where like, oh, the next comic is. You know, one thing I did was just uh, just sort the Fangraphs leaderboard for under twenty four with at least four hundred played appearances since twenty fifteen, and then reverse sort it for you know, WRC plus and at the very bottom, you, the very bottom, you've got Lewis Brinson who I don't think, uh, you know, is going to break out anytime soon, but there's some names on here that just strike me as, you know, with a reset, you know, there's actually a couple names on here that are in the midst maybe of resetting. Uh, one that stuck out with me is Brandon Marsh, uh, who has changed a lot of his swing metrics and, uh, a lot of the underlying stuff and seems to be in the middle of breaking out um, after a, you know, a pretty terrible beginning with the bat. We've talked about Spencer Torkelson. He's on this list. Um, but some names that uh, struck me as maybe wanting to um, wanting, wanting that reset or maybe in the midst of that reset, Scott Kingery is hitting really well in the minor leagues. Joe Adele is hitting really well in the minor leagues. Alec Thomas um, I think uh, I think needs it, um, or maybe going through it right now, um, and uh, maybe one name. I I don't know if I can add the sort of psychological aspect to it. Uh, I don't know that these guys are really struggling through it every day, uh, but I still have some love for Luis Garcia because his max EVs are right, his bail rates show potential he had a 7.5 last year if he could get that up to eight or nine or ten like he could really break out because he has a lot of contact ability so uh luis garcia is someone who you know right now still struggling uh but not out of that window right of where you know there could be a breakout yeah i'm looking back it's a funny leaderboard because if you cut it off at age 24 you get some players who are no longer in this age range who used to struggle and are good now. Dansby Swanson, early in his career, mm-hmm. over a thousand plate appearances, had a 75 WRC plus in yeah. his early 20s. And look at the player he became. It, Byron Buxton, 77. Yeah, and it, this just comes back to what I hear all the time when we're talking about prospects is that player development and, and prospect growth, is it's not linear. But I think looking at Kelnick, it was the first time, the major leagues were the first time that he played baseball in his life, and it wasn't easy. He wasn't perfect for the first time in baseball, whereas mm-hmm. most of his life, prior to making it to the big leagues, he was the best player on the field, and he could do everything and anything he wanted to do on the field. I feel like this is a thing that teams are much better at understanding today versus 20 years ago, and even more so than longer, like further into the, further in the past you go, the less sympathy you would have found around the game for players that if they were having any sort of mental struggles or coping issues, grab some pine meat, right? It, they, the, the whole, the whole attitude towards this was very different a long time ago. And there's still plenty of, of room for improvement. You're hundred percent right. 
there's absolutely no reason to look at a list of young players who are underperforming and assume that that's the case with all of them. But it's certainly the kind of thing that teams should be prepared for as players reach whatever level it is. It might be double A for some guys, maybe high A for some guys, could be triple A for some guys. You're going to hit a wall eventually, almost certainly. There are so few players who are just amazing until they're 35 years old and then start to decline that you should expect almost everyone to go through it. And some people handle it well on their own. They can figure it out. Some people don't. It doesn't matter if you can't figure it on your own. It doesn't mean you're weak. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. It just means there's something there that you need some assistance with. And it seems like in Kelnick's case, it's unlocked. What's wild here, Joe Adele is a little younger than Jared Kelnick. And if I asked you, how many plate appearances in the big leagues does Joe Adele actually have so far? What would your guess be? I'm not looking at it currently, but uh, it has to be more than 400 because he made my I made list. the filter, yeah. <laughs> but I would say not that many more. Maybe 440 or something. 557. That's not even a full season. Not even a full season. And one thing I've always wondered about is for the players that get to the big leagues as young as Adele did and as young as Kelnick did, how much does that ruin our expectations for when when to give up on them? When to say, mm. oh, the ceiling we thought they had isn't quite what it was. Like Whatever the, the adjustment needs to be, he's age-appropriate at AAA right now mm. at a, as, as a 24-year-old, right? He's not too old for AAA. He's age-appropriate to debut this year, and he's already racked up all of those plate appearances. Even though the results haven't been great, that experience is still worth something. This is the best production we've seen from him so far at AAA through 22 games this season. All of that should be exciting. And maybe that's a, that, that's just a way of asking, okay, so if we're going to lower the ceiling, how much do we really have to lower it when he's still 24 years old and still, if he had never played in the big leagues, as I've said many times before about certain players, we'd probably be really excited about this profile. Yeah. Uh, Adele has a flaw. Uh, that is pretty obvious. And anytime you look at him, it's a, it's a strikeout rate. I did have an interesting conversation with someone who worked with Logan O'Hoppy in, uh, after rookie and a ball low a Logan O'Hoppy had a 28% strikeout rate. And, uh, after that in 2020, uh, he spent 2020, uh, training for contact and he came back with a, an 18% strikeout rate in high a. And kept that low strikeout rate all the way through his rookie, uh, his debut season in the majors. That fascinates me because I also heard recently that the Guardians, uh, you know, train for contact. Not only do they draft for contact, but that they train for contact. Well, that makes sense because the Guardians lead the league in in strikeout rate. You know, in terms of being good at it uh, from as batters. So you know, I would be very interested if I heard that Joe Adele was working with someone new you know that that's the sort of thing i'm looking to hear uh along with like the jared kelnick thing it's like you know he's he's revamped and and if i saw a change in swing strike rate i'd be interested in terms of guys who are in the major leagues that don't seem to have as obvious a flaw that i think could still break out alec thomas is the name i really would like to highlight here he has a nine percent barrel rate 110 max cv it's not amazing max cv so it's not amazing raw power but if he can have a nine or ten percent barrel rate and you know live at 111, 112 max EV, that's definitely someone who can hit 25 homers in a season. You know, um, if you got a guy who can hit 20 to 25 homers, he obviously has speed. He has he has pretty good contact. You know, and you know the the walk rates have gone up and down. There there's a potential here for a guy who could hit 275 with a 330 OBP and like a 440 slugging. You know, uh, and if he does that or like a, even a 420 slugging, if he does that, he's going to have 25 homers and 10 to 15 steals. That's a really valuable player. So I don't know. Again, uh, some of this is close to what he's projected for. So maybe you can't in most leagues go and get Alec Thomas for cheap, but maybe you can. Maybe you can. If this slump continues, he's hitting 188. He has 224 for his career. You know, his his bad ball stats are not amazing. And uh, if you're looking to sell in a dynasty league, like he could be someone that you put together two or three veterans for, because you're like, Hey, this is a young guy who's has speed. 
has contact, might have that a ball oomph. Like, let me get him. Yeah, and plays good defense too, which as we talked about earlier in the week, can really sustain that playing time. Yeah, and has survived at least the first round of cuts. Jake McCarthy was sent down. I know. <laughs> it made so many changes on that roster for the D-backs, and I love it because it means they're serious about contending. And they kept Alec Thomas up. Yeah, McCarthy down after 22 games. I know we talked about him on one of our outfield previews as someone that we weren't, at least at the ADP, we weren't really interested in because we could see some flaws. I didn't see this happening. I didn't see an April demotion back to AAA for Jake McCarthy. As crowded as that situation was, I just saw him maybe falling into more of a bench role, and instead they're going to give him you know, more volume at Reno, for at least for a little while. But I don't, I don't really know who the beneficiary is. Is it Pavin Smith? Who's playing in the outfield? No, he's playing first base, I think, right now. Is it one of the extra uh, shortstops? Let's see here. 2023 right field, three innings. <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, who is it then? Who am I missing here? I've sorted by plate appearances for uh, the D-backs. Oh, Alec Thomas is Kyle Lewis a lot this year. Coming on, or is he in the minors? Lewis has been, been hurt already, right? He's in the IL. He's on the IL. Yeah. Right? Illness. What is... Played four games. Hasn't played since April 7th. Well, here's what they've done so far. Christian Walker plays pretty much every day. Alec Thomas plays pretty much every day. Rojas plays Corbin pretty Carol. much every day. Carroll, max volume. Guriel, max volume, right? So they have five guys. Oh, so Carroll, Guriel, Thomas are almost every day. Six guys that are almost every day. Moreno behind the plate's close to that. And Perdomo at short has been pretty close to that. And then everybody else, like... Longoria can't play the outfield, but I guess that's why Pavin Smith has three. So I think Pavin Smith might be the fourth outfielder. That's all I'm saying is I'm looking for a fourth outfielder because they just demoted one. <laughs> They're just using him as the big side platoon DH right now. Kevin Smith? Yep. Occasionally plays first base, but first base and DH. So then does Rojas have any outfield on him? Mm, I don't think I've seen him out there yet. I think they play him almost entirely at third. Yep. He's played only yep. at third so far. At least for starts. Maybe he's, he's well, started one game at second. Maybe Kyle Lewis is headed to her IL for his back uh, rehab, and then he can be DH slash fourth outfielder. And with those legs, I worry he's not going to be much of a, an option in, in the outfield. But it's a little weird then, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Who's their fourth outfielder? <laughs> they got a few guys <laughs> that could they could sneak out there. Guriel plays out there sometimes. That's kind of no. part of it, right? They move a couple of guys in out of the DH spot, so you get Guriel and left. Corbin Carroll plays left. I've had Guriel as one of the three. Carroll, Guriel, Thomas. So who's the fourth? We don't know yet. Catal Marte playing out there? Nope. <laughs> they they just made this move. They haven't shown us right, anything Right, yet. right, right, right. I think they can use Smith out there. They just haven't done it yet. They can use Marte out there. They just haven't done it yet. Yeah. Well, that's something to watch at least. Yeah. But uh, it's a it's at least, at the very least, it's a, a vote of confidence for Alec Thomas. It is. It absolutely is. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Speaking of demotions, this broke during the show on Tuesday. Taj Bradley, it's been 24 hours now. Option to AAA Durham. If you are like me and you're like Eno and you spent a good chunk of your fab budget to get Taj Bradley, assuming that he was going to be up and up for good and contributing at a high level, you were right about the second part. You were just wrong, at least for now, about the first part. And 
I've thought about this some more, and it still doesn't make a lot of sense. The the story about it that Mark Topkin wrote for the Tampa Bay Times or the St. Petersburg Times, the paper down in <laughs> down in that area, it's it's pointing to this idea that the the Rays are still trying to transition Taj Bradley from pitching on every sixth day to every fifth day, which is strange. They didn't have to do this with Shane McClanahan because in 2021, when McClanahan debuted, he wasn't pitching in the minors. He was at the alternate site that year. And then he came up and joined the rotation and stayed up for good. So I thought that they would just let him stay up like McClanahan did, but that's the one wrinkle that makes it a little bit different. If you look at the schedule, it has been every sixth day for Bradley pitching so far this year. I'm just surprised there's not another way. Yanni Chirinos looks like he's going to get a chance, and he's finally healthy. It's good to see that. But when you think about the process of sending Bradley down and changing the schedule, how long can it take to get him working every fifth day? Clearly, they have to shuffle some things around at Durham and maybe do some bullpen games or mess around with things. If they want everyone else on a every sixth day schedule and Bradley's going to go every fifth, that's a small logistical thing to work around. But how long will it take before they're comfortable throwing him every fifth day and bringing him back up to rejoin this rotation? I mean, it can't be that long. He's threw, he threw like 55 pitches in his first start in the minors. And then he threw like 67 in the second. And then he threw 80s in the majors, right? Yeah, the, the workloads for Taj Bradley... In those starts, even though they were they're all over five innings, like it was 78, 82, and 84 pitches. Like there was nothing concerning about that. There's also a progression there. So even if you started that progression over from one, he should be back in two weeks. You know what I mean? Like even if in five days from now he throws 55 pitches, which seems like that could be doable. That's what he did three weeks ago. You know what I mean? So let's say he goes 55 pitches five days from now. Then in the next one, he goes 67. Then he's ready for the big leagues again. So that's what I'm hoping for. I have reached out uh, to some people in the organization. And my question was, is, is this sort of like a roster management thing? And the, the answer is, not very helpful, but uh, yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm trying to look at like their usage of relief pitchers and look at and look for a pattern. And you know they're just really interesting because they have their major league pitchers average around 80 pitches a year. Like even Shane McClanahan had 88 in his last start, and Rasmussen even joked about it when I saw him in spring, being like, "Yeah." You know when the hook is coming, so you got to be efficient. You know, um, and I do think it's related to this finding that command kind of goes after eighty pitches. So they're they think they maximize their starting pitchers at around eighty to ninety pitches, and and, the, and none of their pitches in the last week have gone over ninety four. That was Rasmussen in his last start. Uh, then you look at them in the in the minors, and they've got uh, in the relief, and they've got you know Fairbanks, Adam Poche. I don't know how to say that. Yeah, it's uh, Poche. Yeah. Poche, Clevenger. Um, those guys are very much just that's their less their A squad relief squad of like ten to twenty. None of them have done more than nineteen pitches in one outing, uh, and they are also really avoiding back to backs. Uh, definitely not doing any back to back to backs, and then giving them multiple days rest if they do a back to back. So that's that's their conventional bullpen. And then they have the hybrids. Kelly, Beeks, Chirinos, Fleming, Hembry's uh, an 18-pitch guy, Cooper Criswell. So they've got these guys in the in, in that that do 30 to 50 pitches. I they just must not oh, and then here's the last wrinkle. You're limited, even if you your guy has an option, you're limited to limited to optioning him down to the minor leagues three times in one year. So you you pointed out that their bullpen is full of guys with options. Yeah. But let's say you're looking through the full year and you're saying, oh man, you know, right now they're all well rested. Beeks is among the guys who are our volume guys. Beeks is the only guy who's done a back-to-back in the last seven days, you know? Fleming did 35 and has gotten five days of rest since. Cooper Criswell did 55. He's got four days of rest since. Beeks had a little bit harder schedule, but Kevin Kelly 
pitched 28, got two days off, pitched 39. So um, I would say maybe they're like, let's save our option on these guys until we've worked them harder, right? There's going to be a day where Beeks, you know, throws 30 and then two days later we need him to throw 20 again. And then we might, I don't know if Beeks has an option. But. And then, yeah, then you'd have to option him down because you wouldn't be able to use him and you yeah, want to have someone option. that you could use a couple times. Exactly. In the days. So you're like, hey, our pen's in good shape. Let's send Bradley down. Our pen's going to be in worse shape soon, so then we'll send a reliever down then. You have to think about, you have, yes, okay, all these guys have options, but we only can do it three times. So when in the season are we going to option Kevin Kelly? <laughs> you know, like, you're almost forecasting, projecting when you're optioning them. Right. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm sure this is, there are more layers to this, for sure, yeah. than than just the... Yeah, we got to get him on a five-day schedule. That's just what they said. That's what was reported. That's what we're supposed to go with. You could do that at the major league level. If you have these 37-pitch guys, you say, okay, you know, in his next start, Bradley's going on five days rest, but we're going to get 60 pitches out of him at the major league level. You know, we're going to ask less of him. You know, isn't that the process? I don't have it handy because I don't know if I can even find this publicly, but Heath Hembree is this veteran that they had at Durham. Maybe there was an opt-out at the end of the month for Heath Hembree, so they had to put Heath Hembree on the roster before the uh, end of the month. Because I'm like, why is Heath Hembree on the roster? He doesn't have options left. They added him on Tuesday. Again, this is just a guess. This is the type of thing where you got to add him so he doesn't and opt Hembry out. And Hembree was like dealing, him. and they, they do stuff numbers, so maybe they had great stuff numbers, but Hembree also has lost the plot in terms of he doesn't know where the plate is anymore. So maybe they brought they brought him up to the major level to give him a stint, and then they're gonna say, "Sorry, Hembry, like, you know, you can't find the plate. Thanks for thanks for you know thanks for trying it out with us." Yeah, I mean, look, there's any number of reasons that they could have done this this way. I'm holding Taj Bradley, same as I said yeah. yesterday. Gonna wait a couple of weeks and see how this plays out. I think he showed us enough talent wise. You knew going into it, at least I think everyone knew that. It, workload wasn't going to be six or seven innings on a regular basis. It was going to be shorter starts. It wasn't going to be an innings horse or a wins horse or any of that. But it was fine so far. Three for three in terms of wins, great ratios, and more than a K per inning. If you're going to if you're going to go short, that's perfect. Even had a bad inning in one of the starts and, and rallied. Yeah, he was doing everything he needed to do to justify you know, 20, 30% of the fab budgets that were, were thrown so, in his yeah, direction. Definitely, definitely holding. Yeah. Definitely a hold there. My other thought on this too, though, is that if you, and I don't know if it has anything to do with Bradley specifically, but I think the way the minor league schedule is built, Monday's a travel day now, right? This is good. They've reduced travel in the minor leagues. You play the same team all week long for six straight games. And a lot of teams, I think, do use larger rotations in the minor leagues. But wouldn't you think for the sake of an arm care routine, you wouldn't want guys like Bradley working every sixth day. Wouldn't you want them to get into the habit of rest and recovery and between starts maintenance to be on that every fifth day schedule so you don't hit this extra last phase of development? Unless you've got some compelling research that shows at a younger age, the extra rest is more likely to give you a better long-term health outcome. Even that seems like a, a study that would be pretty noisy so isn't it just strange that the schedules don't sync up a little better with how big league rosters are managed the Rays just have an entirely different philosophy where they're just like we are cool with 80 pitches so we actually want our major leaguers you know to get to the major leagues with our minor leaguers to get to the major leagues with 80 pitches if they're a starter right um i did remember that kyle Bodie took immense pride in the fact that his pitchers his starting pitchers with the reds came to the major leagues ready to throw 100 um and uh hunter green literally 100 on the radar but also <laughs> uh, uh 100 pitches so you know uh there's um there's this whole thing where you don't want to waste their bullets in the minors right then they're doing but that right do, now they just set up yeah, right, right. <laughs> but you do want them to get to the big leagues and be ready to do what they, you know, there's also a, a real question in some organizations about when to start certain things. So if you've got a 16, if, I don't know, 16 is pushing it, but if you got a 17 year old in, in rookie ball, right. 
and you've got this organizational philosophy. Everybody who has an 85%, uh, you know, uh, spin efficiency, we're going to teach them the sinker, the cutter, and the sweeper. That's something that the the the, the Yankees and Marlins are doing. Uh, the Yankees and Mariners are doing. Teach everyone the sweeper, especially if they're 85% uh, spin efficiency. And um, do you want to do that with the 17-year-old rookie ball? Or do you want to give a more generalized plan and allow that 17-year-old to possibly go in any direction i think you'd want to leave the door open yeah so you if you want to leave the door open then you're going to have less specialized instruction you're just going to be like you're going to be like hey let's all let's let's all swing harder you know let's all try to throw four seamers with ride and let's all try to throw five pitches and let's uh so you're a little bit more just like let's see where you could be and then as you get older you start being sort of pushed specialized push towards certain roles oh you're a reliever now oh no you're a cutter sinker guy you know what i mean like and then you start specializing the instruction for them because you can also see the finish line and be like oh you're in double a and you can't find the zone it's interesting luis medina just came up for the for the uh for the ace and he's got a power fastball power breaking ball and a changeup, and terrible command like one of the worst location numbers in my triple a sample and terrible command grades terrible walk rates just terrible command and i think a different organization like if he's with the yankees he'd be in their pen right now you know uh so there's all there's like this relationship between how the what the major league team needs and how old the player is and how 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 competitive the major league team is and how much upside you think they have so Every organization has a little bit different secret sauce when it comes to that. The the Rays, uh, it is a little bit weird to kind of. I I would say that I don't believe them at face value that this is all just about getting them on the five day schedule because they have such a cohesive sort of meshing between their minors and majors. Right. It, it's almost that's what a <laughs> that's what a bad organization would actually be doing. Oh wait, we didn't plan for this. Like, they oh yeah. Oh, sh- oh, shoot. He can't just do six day all year. <laughs> right. Like they, that might be a thing he does while he's down. He might go to a five day a week schedule or something while he's at Durham. But I don't think that is the reason they sent him down. I'm not buying that at least. Yeah. We had a question that actually comes into, into play here. It's a, it's a question about command. It was emailed into us uh, by Jack. Jack wants to know, are there tools that teams use during the game beyond eyeballs to monitor command? How many pitches in a game situation does it take to know that command has declined? Thinking about this in the context of the Rays, you know, using their starters a bit less, staying in that 80 to 85 range for the most part. Uh, that, that's maybe something they've noticed is that command wanes or health outcomes change. There might be some other factors in there too, but just for the command aspect of it, what are teams looking at within a start? Um it's i think even something like location plus uh which looks at locations um can tell us that generally command falls off at 80 pitches so there's definitely teams that are aware of this sort of 80 pitch threshold but i don't think they're actually looking at the the pitcher specific location plus because that's not found to be very sticky in small samples what we do know is that josh kalk who works with the twins now before he went in and worked with the rays one of the things he did was uh, had an injury finder where he had release point uh, data and velo data and movement data. And uh, b- with those, he could say, oh, red flag, you know, something's happening here. The release point's shaky. Something's happening. Um, and I did ask uh, a major league GM once that if he could get like if he could get information to the dugout about like, hey, pull this guy. Because it was like, you know, when everyone's getting pulled during uh, no hitter bids. And, and, uh, they said yes. Uh, and so there can be communication between people who are monitoring this sort of stuff and, uh, the, the manager, uh, cause it's a little bit hard to be like in just like watching be like, oh yeah, his release point dropped, you know, two inches on that one, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but that might be meaningful in your model. So, um, I think right now if the question is like are they monitoring command and taking people out when their command goes i think that's an eye test thing but they are aware of the 80 pitch threshold in some organizations and they probably also uh, are aware of some mechanical changes in some in some situations um 
but with like you know logan webb last year uh the release point was dropping and uh and you know i was like is this injury like what's going on here is anybody aware of this and i did talk to somebody and they're like yeah you know it's just a young pitcher uh doing the throwing the most he'd ever thrown of course there was going to be some fatigue markers we just tried to ask him constantly how he's feeling we tried to you know give him some extra days off in the in the in the in the september and you know we just tried to monitor it because if you never build a guy to 200 innings you'll never get a guy to 200 innings that's sort of the the bigger problem i see with pitching development is we want guys to get to this level maybe it's even lower than 200 now maybe it's 175 180 whatever whatever the number actually is it just seems like the way we get there is more complicated than it needs to be in part because of logistics injuries are the the great equalizer the, the great disruptor in this case that just makes it hard to do exactly what you want but i think there's still uh still some room for for growth there and all those markers, by the way, are only going to get better. Uh, Hawkeye just switched to 300 frame rate on the on its cameras. It used to be it used to have a worse frame rate than your iPhone. Um, and uh, with 300 frame rate on 12 cameras, the hope is that it'll better delineate things. Like right now, it's not very good at the pelvis. Well, the pelvis is incredibly important. How the pelvis moves is incredibly important for hitters and pitchers. And there might, in fact, be fatigue markers in the pelvis. And so if we can better keep an eye on pitchers' pelvises, then... <laughs> let's, put, let's put cameras on them and computers and turn Directed them into right little data points and not, yeah. yeah, let's not just stare in that direction. Yeah, right. <laughs> also, it would just be impossible with the eye to be like, hmm, his pelvis moved three milliseconds slower that time. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very precise motion capture. But yeah, you'd think about that as far as your mechanics, you know, flying open, just missing your target that's going to come sometimes from rotational things like that so uh, yeah yeah i'm sure there's there's more to come i also think that the catcher i mean the catcher knows catchers catchers are almost as good as computers back there i think when something's not right with a pitcher they're going to see it before anybody else does because they they get the best view they're familiar with how everything moves and comes out of every pitcher's hand so that'd be the other factor for me is like if i'm if i'm not sure i'm asking my catcher like hey what do you, what do you see right now? Like what? Watching uh, Little League recently, uh, our uh, our stud pitcher last night in the win, um, I could tell he was uh, he was he was like you know doing some stuff. And it's funny because the kids are like I feel I'm, I'm I feel like almost all the kids who are pitching like are hurting. <laughs> they're all hurt, like, yeah, because they're like every like after every pitch they're like doing flexing their hand and doing weird things. And I'm like, oh, is he hurt? And so like. I was watching him and he was doing some of the regular stuff, but then he he kept like adjusting his jersey on his shoulder. And I was like, Coach, coach, you need to go talk to him. And then like three seconds later, he like called for the coach. He's like, I did something to my shoulder, you know? Yeah. Um, and so there is uh, I think you'll notice it, it's it's more hyper aware in the major leagues. As soon as a pitcher s- starts walking around the mound doing something weird with his hand. Someone pops out of the dugout. Right. Yeah. And it's usually it's usually a teammate, often a catcher that sees it. The hand the hand shakes, the little pattern between batters changes. There's so many yeah. like, body language things that they and everyone's see like, each other. It's the major league. So everyone's like so hyper focused that like <laughs> like you'll be like, Oh, is he flat Oh. <laughs> Here comes the pitching coach. <laughs> <laughs> when you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, Nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash theathletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. 
Individual results will vary. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We had a, an email follow-up from part of our conversation on Monday. This email came from Aaron. Aaron just wanted to point out that uh, Eric Longenhagen, who does the scouting grades over at Fangraphs, actually had a, a chat where he explained how he puts the hit tool grades on, on young players. And for younger players, the present hit tool grade doesn't mean the same thing as it does for players closer to Major League Baseball. So I think Eric said once the players get to double A, that's the hit tool that he thinks the, the player kind of has going forward. But when you see an 18-year-old like Elijah Green or guys that were just drafted, um, the 20, the 25 that you see, it's, it's a grade of how they hit right now relative to like their With age. Like the future value. Idea, and then the future yeah. value is kind of your guide as to what they think it's going to be. So yeah, Elijah I mean, Green's like a, a 20 present, future 40. A future 40 is not necessarily... But a future 40 is not, not that good there. either. So it, like. <laughs> it's, a, it's like a... Sl- yeah, it's, it's the lower end of the acceptable or normal range like a, that you see for a player. A present like value that. 25 guy like wouldn't be able to play in the big leagues. No. And a, but a present value 40 with no power can't play in the big leagues either. So I think our our, our point still stands but like yeah, it is it is interesting to sort of mesh that present value grade with their age. Think about it that way. Yeah. Um and I have the full breakdown here. I'm just going to see if I can pull it up easily and nope, it's gone again. Of course. Of course it's gone again. Wait, there it is. Tools grade. Yeah. Teenager with poor or neutral feel to hit would be a 20. A teen with advanced feel to hit is a 25. A college-age hitter with poor or neutral feel to hit is a 30. An advanced college-age bat is a 35. That's a little bit more regimented than I expected. Yeah, hitters at double A and up get what I actually think they like he Like a teenager out of high school wouldn't get better than a 40 present hit tool. Right. Yeah. Um, so, like, what? Like, so, for example, okay. So, like, Drew Jones, super polished high school hitter, right? What do you think Drew Jones has listed for his hit tool? He's got a thirty-five. Cur- he's got a current twenty, but a future fifty-five. Wow. Uh, Jackson Holiday, right? Jackson Holiday, twenty-five, future sixty. So, it, like, the, right. so just just know that when you see the twenties on on teenagers, it's that's not the this guy's not going to hit. That's not what that means. But a 20 on a guy at double A means this guy's not going to hit. Right, right. Also, yeah, important a 20, to check the a 2040 is different than a 2060 or 2560. So. Yep. So thanks for that email, Aaron. Always good to clarify that. And it's very similar to what I sort of assumed is that those 20s and 25s weren't, weren't indica- indicative of a, a major problem necessarily. They were more a reflection of where a player was uh, in terms of his current development. Uh, we've got a question here from Chris about Pete Alonzo, who's off to a tear so far. And it's kind of just a general question. He seems like he's getting better every year. Is there anything we missed in Pete Alonzo earlier in his career or in recent years that could have pointed to the player that he has become here at his peak? Uh, awesome Max EVs. You know, paired with a reduction in strikeout rate over the course of his career. Yeah, that's the part that's, I think, the surprising part. I think most of us expected Pete Alonso to always be the kind of guy that would strike out 25% of the time. Because that's what he did his first two years in the big leagues. You know, for his age, it didn't seem like there was going to be that much more improvement. And he's managed to cut that down. The last two seasons, under 20%. This year, he's kind of back up in that 23, 24% range right now. But he's popped 10 homers already. The power... there's. What if Pete Alonso played in a, a more hitter-friendly ballpark? Would he just be a 50-home yeah, run guy right. every year? He's already done that once in that ballpark. I'd also want uh, to highlight the fact that he has oppo power, mm. um, which I think is part of why he's able to cut that strikeout rate, right? It means he can do different things with, uh, with different, with you know what I mean, with different balls in different parts of the zone he can he can take the ball where it's pitched uh i'm trying to set up a on the fly 
next Pete Alonzo query. Ooh. Um, I'm just doing under 25 with a high K rate, looking at their oppo. Um, looking at I want to throw their max EV in there. Um, I want to I want a guy with like great raw power and kind of highish strikeout rate. Let's see. Uh, Jordan Walker. <laughs> Jordan I mean, Walker. Jordan Walker. Yeah. Jordan Walker, why not? You know, like, here's a guy with oppo power, 26% strikeout rate, 114 max EV, uh, decent barrel rate, you know. Uh, Nolan Gorman's on this list. Here's a here's a, a related question, then. if Brandon Marsh. If Walker comes up on one flag, what else could you use to help validate that hypothesis? Could you look at max EVs from a month of his career, do we need a year's worth? When when would you really start to feel solid about that comp from a power perspective for Jordan Walker? Well, if you look at Pete Alonso's max EVs, they've been great, like from day one. So I think you can do it in one year. Yeah. The other thing is that his swing strike rate is not aggressively bad, Alonso's, right? It's like league average. Yeah. Look at that again. There's another uh, Pete Alonso yeah, thing. Yeah, it's, it's sort of 10 to 11. It was 12 in his first year. So you could you could have someone that has like kind of a 12% swing strike rate, but I don't think that like um, like Brandon Marsh, I, I just mentioned him in passing. Well, right now he's got an 8.5% swing strike rate. Brandon Marsh, 36% oppo, 110 max EV. So not quite the same max EVs, but uh, just a whiff of a chance there. Uh, sorry, you, you're saying Jared Kalnick is, is here. Yeah, but he, he he's a pull guy. He's a pull guy. He does, it's not quite the same. I was trying to think about Alonzo compared to the other elite first baseman, most specifically Vlad Jr. And how we, we think about Vlad mm-hmm. Jr. as kind of a top 10 player who's even been drafted earlier than that. If you go back to 2021, Alonzo's got a slight edge in home runs. Vlad Jr., though, has a almost 30-point edge in batting average during that span. A few more steals for Vlad Jr. More line drive stroke for for Vlad. Yeah, I think that'd be the like. There's a there's a little more. I guess there's a little more hit tool with Vlad. He's a little more dynamic as a hitter, which is not taking anything away from Alonzo. I think it's just giving you an idea of how how unusual that level of power is with the ability to hit the ball all over the field. And Alonzo's not bad at that, but Vlad Jr.'s even better at it. I actually could see Nolan Gorman almost. So Nolan Gorman right now has a 12% whiff rate, which is what uh, what uh, Alonzo had early, right? Isn't he? He's a right-hander too, right? Gorman's a lefty. Oh, Gorman's a lefty. He's got a 26% strikeout rate, and he goes to Oppo Field uh, 26% of the time. So, not a terrible comp. Uh, not a terrible comp. I wonder uh, where Gunnar Henderson is going from here. <laughs> we already. Um, we we sweated it out with him a little bit on uh, on Monday's show. Yeah, well, I mean, listen, if you want to if you want to be worried about Gunnar Henderson, be worried about Gunnar Henderson. But you know, twelve percent swing strike rate is the same swing strike rate that Pete Alonso had in his rookie year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Of course, Gunnar Henderson is more patient, so maybe that twelve percent swing strike rate is turning into more K's than it did for Alonso. But uh, I'm not out on a Gunnar. I mean, a 354 OBP in your first 54 games, one third of a big league season, that's not bad. Doing it with yeah. non zero power, doing it without chasing, showing some barrel ability. This yeah. seems like it's going to work, especially yeah. when you when you just mush together the end of last season with the beginning of this season. You give yourself a little more confidence and a more realistic expectation because you see you see results that are almost identical to rest of season projections. It, it kind of Two, 240, you. 350, 406, 17 to 20 homers, 10 stolen bases. Yeah. And you have little. that knowing that things could click and he could get a lot better at any time. It could happen in the second half of the season. It could happen in the last month of the season. Or like Alonzo in year five. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think for fair to be fair to Alonzo, it's been a just a progression. You know? Yeah. And he was never I mean, look at. He's never, yeah, he's never bad. Yeah. Never bad. I mean, I mean he's a rookie with 53 homers. homers. Right? Yeah, it's kind of hard to, 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 to take somebody. <laughs> yeah. I know we know more now about 2019 in hindsight than we knew at the time, but even in that environment, given that he did it in that park and he was a rookie, that seems like a season that maybe wasn't appreciated enough for what it 
really yeah, was. True. 53 home runs as a rookie. But but otherwise, look at how nice his progression was since 2020. 120 WRC+, 133, 143, 151. Really steady player. Uh, kind of a, a real baseball question, though. Pete Alonso, he's still at one more year of club control. There's got to be at least some thought to an extension with the Mets. Oh, my God. What kind of contract does Pete Alonso end up getting just from a you know, risk? How, how does this profile age is the real question. I don't care so much about the number of years and number of dollars as much as I want to know. Are we going to flash forward five years, seven years, maybe even 10 years and still be looking at Pete Alonso as a good power hitter? Is he going to age like a Nelson Cruz? Because I imagine he'll be a DH for the bulk of his 30s, maybe at least the last half of his 30s. But I think based on how he how he has his approach right now, especially if his O-swing can stay, if he keeps the O-swing percentages down, that gives me a lot of confidence that he can do this for quite a while. Yeah, it's interesting, though, that most of the other big contracts that are out there right now are not for first baseman. And one of the last sort of quote-unquote bust, you know, uh, uh, contracts was Albert Poole. So the, the most lucrative contracts right now that are out there are Trout, Betts, Judge, Machado, Lindor, Tatis, Harper. Even but Harper, Harper starting has in the value. outfielder. Yeah, he has defensive value. Stanton's 325 is the high watermark for someone with less defensive value. Um, but even he was an outfielder at the time. I mean, to get to a first baseman, you got to get to Miguel Cabrera 248 in 2016. I think that might be, he could probably beat that. I don't know, like 250 or something. I just don't know if someone's giving him 300 million. I think it's also quite more more for years. Like, I, how how long how long do you want to believe? Everyone's yeah. stretching it because they just want they just don't want it to be to come against their luxury tax. So, so ten years, three hundred million or something. Yeah, ten something. and two fifty. Yeah, yeah. But I think he's still going to be a pretty good hitter uh, compared to a lot of other power hitting first basemen that I've seen in my lifetime. It looks it looks like an approach that will age reasonably well for Pete Alonso, and that's. Not necessarily something I would have thought of him when he came into the league, coming up with his prospect He looked like old people skills. Like, you know, he's going to strike out a lot, walk a lot, have a low batting average, pull everything for homers. But, you know, I did, he did catch my eye when the the fact that he's hitting oppo homers in the home run derby. It's like not many, many people do that. Yeah, it's just showing off at this point. But (laughs) as we've said, he he was made for that. Keith Alonso was made for the modern home run derby. Uh, I've got one more question here to get to. This one comes from Braden, a uh, different Braden, not my son. He's not sending emails to the show yet, which <laughs> he will be soon. Won't take long. And I'm sure he'll have a lot of critiques for me as uh, as a host of this <laughs> podcast. But uh, Braden would like to know what's going on with Charlie Morton. And you look at his early 2023 stuff numbers seem to indicate that he's, he's just not quite the same guy that we've seen in recent years. You know, you look at this this overall body of work, and I'm paraphrasing the question, but the walk rate's up a little bit, 9.3%. I think that's his highest walk rate since 2016. That was his one and only year in Philadelphia. The K rate's down at 20% right now. Even last year when things weren't going well, Charlie Morton had a 28.2% K rate. So what's going on here? Is this just the aging, another year on Charlie Morton really taking its toll, or do you think this is a correctable coming off of this five-star run where he's looked like a, a pitcher that's even a notch below where he was last year from a skills perspective. I mean, uh, in terms of this stuff numbers, the biggest drop-off has been in his four-seam fastball. And it's not necessarily the most important thing for his arsenal because his sinker is still doing well and his curveball is amazing. Uh, but I think just generally over time, he's getting older and he's losing his best fastball. And, uh, you know, in terms of uh, what he's how much he's using it this year, uh, he's still using the four seam uh, 30% of the time. So any sort of sloughing off in how good quality that pitch is, is going to affect everything. He becomes closer and closer, like I said, to a Wainwright. Uh, But Wainwright uh, was very useful uh, into into his older age. And Morton's fastball is way better than Wainwright's Adipu. Uh, so, uh, I think 
he may have highest whips he has for his career, uh, but uh, I, he remains a hold for me in all formats this year. Yeah, I'm looking back at, at recent years, Charlie Morton has dabbled with a cutter, and it just hasn't been a good pitch for him, at least by results it hasn't been a good pitch. And I wonder if that might be one way he can sort of stop the stop the problems with his fastball if he does something else with it. Yeah, what have I what have I got on the grades? I, you can do a fun thing um, where you can do you know multiple seasons uh, on Fangraphs and you can just kind of see a person's uh, progression over time. And the the cutter in twenty twenty one for Morton uh, was an above average pitch. It remains a sort of ninety to one hundred pitch. So it's definitely a viable option. This year, his stuff grade on the changeup is better than it's ever been, but that's a little finicky. But you know, generally, he's not like he's not as uh, Kenta Maeda got uh, shelled again today. Uh, he's not as bad as you know. Sometimes the overall stuff grades has a different story to tell than the per pitch stuff. And so you might look at Charlie Martin's overall stuff grade of one thirteen and say, "Oh, he's got it. he's still got it." And then you open it up and you're like, "Well, none of his hard pitches are over ninety five stuff plus, right?" At least he's not Kenta Maeda. None of his hard stuff is like over 70 stuff plus. So like, you know, whatever Kenta Maeda's overall stuff plus rating is, it's softer than the one for Morton. Because Morton still has a 95 stuff plus sinker, and that's that's actually kind of average. He's got to be down in terms of, you know, where you'd where you'd rank him now for the rest of the season. And maybe he is on that, that Wainwright trajectory eventually. But I would I would say because of the velo, as you pointed out, that's the thing that, Gives me some hope that you can still use them. I just think you have to be a little more careful about it. I think it's more, instead of last year where I was throwing Charlie Morton out there against almost anybody, kind of waiting on that bounce back, I don't think I have that level of of, of flexibility with the matchups in which I'm comfortable starting him right now. Okay. Uh, take Don't don't look at his game log. We're going to play the could you have avoided the landmines <laughs> this is- game. I'm going to predict a no on this one already. Okay. <laughs> uh, home against Miami. Easy start. Yeah. At San Diego. That was before Tatis came back from a suspension. And that ballpark, yeah, he might have been in. I would say there's a, a in a 15-teamer, he was definitely in. And a 12, he may have still been in my lineup for that. San Diego at home, does that change it? In Atlanta? Yeah. Slightly less likely to use him there, but still probably in. At Kansas City. In. At St. Louis. In. Well, congratulations. You own all of his 2.76 ERA. Eh. I got the what whole plan. I, I got the bad whip, too. Is he got a 140 whip? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a category. <laughs> the command is, the, the walks are up a little bit. He started the year, at least the last set of rankings you had on the site at the end of March. He was your 40th ranked starter. I'm guessing. Even with the injuries ahead of him, he still probably slips a little bit off of that, right? There's got to be a few guys that were behind him. Like Luis Garcia was behind him before. You'd probably take Luis Garcia over Charlie Morton for the rest of the season. Oh, I don't know. Luis Garcia's a, a sneaky, bad fastball guy. He, he's really just going to the cutter more and becoming a junker, junker baller. Yeah, yeah. Kind of glad in some long-term leagues I moved away from Luis Garcia during the he's, winter. It's a so- like he's his dynasty value is below his this year value. I for sure. Joe Ryan. Whoa, yeah, Joe, Joe Ryan. Joe Ryan's got to be a big faster. stock up guy based on what he's done yeah. this year. Oh, so rankings are coming out this uh, this Friday. I won't be able to uh, to join the cast <laughs> or chat because I'm I'm headed down to L.A. But the rankings this week this uh, week that are coming out will have rest of season projections. Hey, from our friend Jordan Rosenblum, and I think that'll be key to taking all this information and wrapping it up into aggression system to get a better idea of what rest of season ERA projections look like. And I will be really interested in the Charlie Morton number because park factors do play a a factor, especially for a guy who pitches in a launching pad. I mean, it's not the launching pad, but it's one of them. It is a place that gives up more homers. You know who else is up this year? You had this range. Pablo Lopez, he's way up. And oh, oh, last second, last second uh, uh, inclusion of the Velo 
leaders, the Velo adding leaders. Last year to this year, Sean Manaya, number one, is from my column today. Sean Manaya, number one. He's still having trouble getting into games. The Giants are are playing games. What are you doing, uh, Giants? Starters. Why are you this way? Well, the, the, I guess the Cardinals are, are slug lefties pretty hard. Uh, Freddie Peralta, he's healthy. Yay, everyone party. Reed Detmers, we knew about. Pablo Lopez, the fourth biggest increase in fastball velo, up to 95. Dean Kramer's on there. I cut the list off here. The bonus for you podcast listeners, Wade Miley, Joey Wentz. I don't care, really. Sorry. Michael Kopeck, Nick Pavetta, Fran Vervaldes, and Hayden Wesnensky rounds out the top 10. So there you have it. All right. New rankings coming. If you want to see the new rankings, you will need a subscription to The Athletic. So you should get one for a dollar a month for the first year. At theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. through three, six strikeouts, one walk, one ball hit remotely well. He's no fastball filthy, control. Man. It's, Interesting update. It's, I think he was under ranked on some prospect lists. And I'm sure with this start, it's, it's not going to be reflected in the bidding. There's going to be splashy Taj Bradley type bids on Bybee this weekend, but. Yeah, it'll be it'll be tough because you just spent money on Logan Allen. Oh no, Allen actually will only join a lot of pools yeah. this week too. Yeah, so you're gonna have split money on Allen and Bybee, and then, um, you know, then there'll be we'll, all the podcasts all week, including ours. We've already done this, but you know, we'll be talking about who will be starting in that. And I continue to think that, as we said before, even with Savali and McKenzie uh, healthy. Plesak and Quantrill uh, are soft uh, entries into that rotation. And so I would say Bieber, Savali, McKenzie are in there. And then you can still have Allen and uh, and Bybee in there. But it will get interesting when Savali and McKenzie are both healthy. They may get sent down again just because it's not like the Guardians are going to release Cal Quantrill. Plesak, I I don't know. They could be could done be, with him. They could be. They could uh, be done with him. I mean, he has options left, but he hasn't been that good. Maybe by sort of DFAing him, they could spur a low-level trade with somebody. Right. Yeah, I, I think it's it's more like that where I mean, they ha- they can option him down. He's got enough service time. He's got three years of service time, though. He's got to be close to that threshold where he could refuse the assignment. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh and and like send him to the bullpen see if he can throw ninety four again. Yeah, there's a few ways that could go, but I, I and Cody Morris maybe eventually gets healthy too. He could be a part of this, but it almost looks like Morris because of all the time he's missing is gonna have a hard time working he's like a regular be starter. Building back up, yeah, yeah. They're gonna use him probably in multiple inning stints out of the bullpen for a while, which makes it you know, frustrating from a fantasy perspective, but could be really good for them as a glue guy that just comes in and mows down four or five six hitters at a time. That could be. A really nice uh, addition for They're them. Building a, a one to nothing team in Cleveland. Yeah, go get some more bats, please. <laughs> oh, I mean, it's it's that right field spot as always. And they tried. They tried to add Josh Bell. So far, he hasn't hit that much. He'll probably come back around. But there's still at least one bat too light compared to other playoff teams. I'm about and to cut Josh Bell in Ottawa. Bo Naylor. Promote. Bo Naylor. <laughs> He's tearing up AAA. Let Bo Naylor play. You leave my Mike Zanino alone. She's oh, relying on Mike Zanino? <laughs> my one share in ALA. No, I don't care that much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're going to be okay. Let's let us let's let everyone have Bo Naylor available yeah, instead of right. you having Mike Zanino in AL labor. <laughs> on that note, we are going to sign off. You've got the time. Give us a, a follow on YouTube. Be sure to hit the subscription button on the channel. Hit the like button on this video. You can find Eno on Twitter, at Eno Saris. You can find me, at Derek Van Riper. That's going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We're back with you on Friday. Thanks for listening. Hey. 
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.